0: You're listening to What's The Lesson, a podcast that inspires girls and those that love them to grow in their knowledge, skills, and abilities while working
1: towards becoming the most competent version of themselves. We're your hosts, Jill and Mary, once corporate leaders and entrepreneurs turned confidence coaches who are obsessed with raising the next generation of female leaders. We're the founders of Girls Mentorship, a personal growth and development company for teen and tween girls. We're here to give them the tools to be resilient, problem solvers, and to simply be good people. Everything we wish we had access to at their age. We'll be sitting down with versatile
0: guests to talk about things like how to manage expectations, bounce back from failure, even strategies to break up with a toxic relationship. We want this community to lift one another up. So starting right now, you get to practice reaching your hand back and bringing other girls along for the ride.
1: Let's go. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. What's the lesson? I am staring at two of my favorite people. Usually I'm sitting right next to Jill, but (laughs) she decided to sit in the closet today for better sound control. And realistically, she's not feeling well, so she didn't wanna be um, breathing all over the same microphone that I'm breathing all over, which thanks, Jill. You're welcome, honey. The consideration.
0: <laughs> I was like, I know we get really close when we're in a room and we close the door, So I'm going to try to avoid getting you sick because I haven't felt great the last two days and I don't I don't wish that upon anybody. So if I have to sit in the closet for this episode, so be it, but, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's kind of fun knowing that you're in the other room and I get to stare across the screen on Zoom at you. <laughs>
1: Well, the other lovely face that we're staring back at is one of my original friends when I moved to Phoenix. I moved here like 2007, 2008, and I kind of kept to myself uh, for those first couple of years as I was figuring things out. But then I started working somewhere, and I met this person, and she has been through Everything in life as I've known it as a Phoen- Phoenician um with me. So, Erin, I refer to her as little Erin. She's actually in my phone as Thunder Thumbs still after all <laughs> of this time. We've um, we all go through okay. our auto texting days. Um, so welcome to the show. Exactly. Hi, little Erin. Sure. Will you just give our audience um a brief rundown of the job that you have right now, and then we'll get into our story, how we know one another, and how serendipitous. um, just having you on the podcast right now is yeah. So currently, I
2: well, let's see. like two weeks ago, I started a new job with one of our uh, health plans locally that works with our access clients. Um, but prior to that, and for the last ten years, I've been working in local community mental health with
1: kids and
2: teens, especially in our access health plans.
1: So 10 years, 10 whole Mm -hmm. years you've been doing that and you have experienced a range of jobs. So will you explain a little bit more as to why this is something you were interested in pursuing? Uh, Because it wasn't always your path. And I think that's a beautiful just Call out for all of us who think we have to do the one thing that we sought out to do when we first started going to college. Um, yeah, because it's not we become different people. We take up different interests, and you went this route. So, if I if my memory serves me correctly, you started working at a place called Valle mm-hmm. de Luna. Yeah. Vital del Sol. Was- oh, dang it. <laughs> Luna, Luna
0: is a Mexican food
2: restaurant. It's a delicious Mexican restaurant. <laughs> it is. So, That's where she started
1: doing mental health coaching. <laughs> At the bar with margarita. You know, tacos and mental health coaching.
2: Right, hand, hand. Yeah. So I originally, right out of high school, went to art school. And I was like, I'm going to work in the arts. And I'm going to be super bohemian. And I'm going to live this crazy art life. And graduated art school and realized it is not um, an industry that I was going to be able to sustain a lifestyle in. It just wasn't, my interest fell out. I, you know, had some crappy relationships that kind of took me down a weird path. Um, And I started working in a bar with Mary and really had no, no direction. Um, But I've always struggled with, um, ADHD and anxiety and depression. Um, I was diagnosed with ADHD at nine, and anxiety and depression at 13 and 14, respectively. Um, and so, really, mental health is a huge part of my story throughout the years. And when I was in this weird growing phase of working in bars and just feeling a little lost, I kind of was like, "Well, maybe I could help people. That sounds good. That sounds like a field that maybe I might know a little bit about." having spent so many years in and out of therapy and, you know, on different medications for things and, and really kind of a world that I understood a little bit of, or so I thought, as I was vastly wrong when I walked in. So I started <laughs> um, with Vial Del Sol supervising visits actually between kiddos who have been removed by the Department of Child Safety and their parents. So picking kids up for visits, transporting them to visit, supervising the visitations and all that. And then I moved on to being a behavior coach. So, working in the homes with families who had kiddos with behavioral challenges uh, for about a couple of years. And then moved on to what we call a high needs case manager. So, we have some kids in our children's system who have intense high needs. So, these kids can be high substance use kids, some of our trafficked youth, um, kids involved with the juvenile justice system, kiddos who just have some really big emotional and behavioral challenges. And within the access system, they get assigned to a behavioral health agency and they get a high needs case manager. Um, and this role is really to be a support for these kids, but also you have access to these services. So it can look like putting in referrals for different therapies, for residential placements, um, all of these things. So I did that for a couple of years and then moved on to. A treatment coordinator role, which was very similar, but it also did um, intakes for services. So I would be the first point of contact for the agency and these kids and really hearing what their story was and where their struggles were um, and helping formulate treatment plans to, to get these kids the help that they needed. Um, so I spent about four and a half years doing that and really growing my um, contacts in the Valley and, you know, service of, or knowledge of service providers and, and all that stuff kind of led me to where I am now, which is definitely a more, um, like I said, at one of the health plans, but so it's more administrative kind of, um, advocacy role for children and families in the access healthcare system.
0: I am honestly, I, I know you through Mary and it's really cool to sit here on the other end, listening to your story and who you've been and where you've come from. I had no idea. So I'm sitting here being like, wow, Aaron, little Aaron, I had no idea. And I, I think the first thing that pops into my mind is how interesting that your experience with anxiety and depression and your own mental health journey has really led you to finding a passion for what you do now. And Did you ever see yourself um, through other children's eyes, like while you were helping them? Granted, I'm I'm sure every scenario and and situation's different, but the fact that you've been in this industry for over a decade and you continue to be a stand and you're super passionate about it, I'm just curious if it's like, are you almost seeing yourself in these kids and that you continue to show up day to day to serve them, to help them, you know, Give give them a better life or let them know that they deserve more than okay. potentially where they're at.
2: Yeah. And something that, you know, I think has always been really important to me and really ties in with the role I'm in now is that um, self-disclosure and that lived experience. Like, I can tell you that, you know, this shit sucks right now, but yeah. it will get better. It can yeah. get better. And I can say that to you and I'm not full of shit because I've been there. Right. been in those situations, you know, I grew up with some toxic, really toxic parts of childhood and moving through that and and all that stuff. So really being able to use that self-disclosure and share my story with my kids over the years has really helped form connections and mm-hmm. make improvements because if you don't have that experience, you can tell a kid that it's going to get better or to trust you all you want, but Unless you can disclose some of those moments where like, yeah, I felt like that. I've literally been in your shoes where I've yeah. sat there and I have cried every day and I have you know, been so anxious I couldn't leave my house. Like, I get where you're coming from. Then they see you in a little bit more of a human aspect as opposed to this like, oh, you're over me. You're just going to tell me what I have to do. Right. It kind of takes that down a notch and it forms that relationship of like, oh, okay, this might help. Maybe yeah. I'm willing to try just a little bit. So I definitely think it's been a huge part of my journey and why I've been so successful in this career because I'm able to draw from that experience of like, I've lived it, guys. like
0: Totally. Let me tell you. Oh my gosh. We can relate on that so well, both Mary and I, with the work that we do with, with our girls. It's the same thing. We are like, there's literally nothing that you can do or say that is going to Surprise us because mm-hmm. we've done it. So it's interesting how a lot of times our our mess is now becoming our message. And even though when you two connected at the bar, you didn't you didn't really know that this was this was the path you both were going to be on.
1: No. <laughs> Absolutely not. There was never no. We were uh full on living in the moment. I can very specifically remember a picture that was taken of the two of us, and somebody commented on it on Facebook and said something about our future and like how something like that could come off um negatively and we both like jumped in the comment section and were like, whatever, bro, we don't care we're <laughs> we're living in the now um but it is it's it's so integral to who we are now our experiences because like i said our paths have continually crossed in ways that we never really could have imagined them crossing and based on all of my mess ups i wound up at this bar working because i needed to make quick cash like full disclosure i screwed up really badly i got a pretty amazing dui like i you say go big or go home i definitely went big (laughs) and then i got to go home without a car Mm -hmm. uh in the back of a police cruiser got to got to do that so when i was seeking out employment if you will um i sought out somewhere where i knew i could make quick cash and i guess that place drew in other people looking to do the same and Mm -hmm. it would truly Our mess had become our message at this point, Um, but you can only see that looking in the rearview mirror. So um, I don't know that I've shared much of my personal story in regards to my relationship with my sister, because this is where our paths cross even more because you mentioned being like an advocate for these kids and making a connection for them which is really difficult if they're in cps or dcs care because they filter through so many faces there's so many caseworkers there's so many touch points you could have the same caseworker for four days you could have the same caseworker for four months my sister unfortunately was in the system and she was somebody who had probably (laughs) I don't know, 25 different caseworkers. So she was somebody who was really hard to connect with because she didn't trust anybody. And the way that the system was set up made it really difficult for me to be her advocate. So I leaned on little Erin more so than I can even tell you guys throughout the years to keep me up to speed on what was going on. Now, she couldn't directly tell me what was going on with my sister though she could access the case file and whatnot, because obviously HIPAA laws and violations, but it felt so good to have somebody who knew what was going on on the inside to relay information on the outside, because you guys, I shit you not, it was literally like jumping through fiery hula hoops of shark infested water in order to be somebody to to take a stand for these kids. And that's not to say anything bad about the system but they are overworked and underpaid and there are so many kiddos that are going through the system at this time that it's just difficult to keep your head above water Mm -hmm. so for me our relationship spanned so far outside of the bar that we met in that just i mean will always hold such a close space inside my heart because If you've never been in the system, if you've never worked around the system, you can pretend that you know what it's like, but man, it is very difficult. Um, I obviously, we've had several conversations where, um, you know, your day has been really, really, really difficult. And it's difficult not to bring that home. Like we didn't have to bring the bar home with us. You bring your cases home with you and that. Will you talk a little bit about how you work on separating the hard cases that you work with at work to going home and being wife, mom of two little girls who need you to be present? Yeah, it's it's hard. It's really hard some days to to make that separation.
2: It was so much easier when I didn't have kids and I was like, "All right, whatever. I can just leave on. Leave this, it's fine." But the higher I rose career-wise. And the more experience I got, the more intense cases I was given. You know, you you get that work because you understand it. You know what you're talking about. So it makes you realize there is horrific things that happen to your next door neighbors and you would never know. And mm. we as you know, mental health providers, social workers in this system, we take all that in and there's you know, we have employee assistance programs and they're OK. They're helpful sometimes. But but really, you have to learn how to to navigate that. And my husband is just one of the coolest human beings on the planet and really knows me better some days than I know myself. So when I'm in it and I'm like wrapped up in something horrific that I've heard or there's a puzzle that I can't quite figure out and something's going on. My husband's really good at being like, you know what, go take a shower, go take a walk, like go run an errand and separate yourself. My girls keep me grounded a lot, a lot. They, um, because they force me not to sit in it because when I'm mom, I'm mom, that's it. I can't sit there and I can't kind of ruminate on what's happened throughout the day. It's like, okay, who needs dinner? Who needs a bath? Who needs all that stuff? So they've been, I think, vital in helping that process of like, how do I separate work from home? But also it's been a lot harder since COVID and coming home and literally work and working in my bedroom. So what was once a safe place and kind of my place to to separate all that is now my office as Mm -hmm. well. So really putting in boundaries of like, okay, at five o'clock, my phone shuts down. I'm not checking emails. I'm not responding to you. I'm not going to work because I don't have that drive time to decompress and, and navigate through my day before stepping into, you know, those roles. It's my kid's been sitting on the floor with me for an hour while I'm in this. So emotional boundaries have become really important. Therapy is always really helpful. I would say that probably about 70% of mental health professionals also see a therapist um, just because yeah, it, amen. That, that secondary trauma really right. is a thing and it happens. Compassion fatigue happens. So mm-hmm. I'm definitely a big believer in therapy. I mean, I have a really rad therapist. So you find things. I read a ton to put myself in a, in a different space. You have to find what works for you. I know people who run or exercise or, or whatever those coping skills are, you have to find time, at le- even if it's five minutes a day, just to to bring yourself down and separate yourself from the things that you're hearing.
0: Yeah. I can't imagine. I mean, I, I do work from home, but um, I remember how tough it was when we were homeschooling and Mary and I were trying to build this business from my kitchen table and then we had someone in the office calling and needing me so it 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 is I can't imagine. I mean, fortunately the kids are back in school and during school time is when I get work done. But when your kids are home and they are at your fing- at your feet or at your fingertips and you're like, "Oh, just one more hour." And you then you like start to feel bad, but you're like, "I got to get it done." How do I now separate it? So I like for people to work at home and have kids at home that's challenging especially the work that you do where that emotional fatigue that you said i'm like oh my gosh yeah and then you have to have the energy to go and and be mom when sometimes you might not have that and i love that your husband gets to like be your soft arms for you when when he realizes like you're not maybe you're not in in a place to fully be present I love that you're a mom of two girls and watching you like our relationship obviously has grown through social media um, and just from hearing all of the stories that Mary shares with me. But you are such a conscious parent and I'm sure you take a lot of your experiences from the work that you do and, and try to be the best parent you can be for your daughters. So I just want to know, like as far as parenting, because I'm a parent of two boys, what do you feel like is like so important to you to give your children, like raising these girls to be incredible leaders or to be kind, to be to be authentic, to to live their truth? I know that you are you don't slack in that department. And if you have any tips or tricks or if there's like something that you do on a daily that reminds yourself to be that parent, I want to know. The listeners wanna know, share.
2: I think my so my kids are nuts. They're nuts. And I think we can all say that, you know? <laughs> kids are, are too and I was not prepared for that. Like, you know, my I think my biggest thing is just let your kids be themselves. I, (laughs) my biggest thing before Emery, and that's my oldest, she is six and she is just such a cool, bright kid. She's into STEM activities and she's a gymnast. And so she's just, has this really well-rounded personality. However, she also is incredibly anxious. And so for me, it's navigating her through some of those that anxiety. And really kind of figuring out is it is she feeling anxious because I'm anxious mm. or is is it the nature versus nurture? Like is it just in her nature? Is she just an anxious kid? Does she have that chemical imbalance going on or is she learning from my anxiety? So being aware and voicing to my family like I'm feeling really anxious right now. I'm having a hard time so that it's not just that you know, those emotions are okay. We don't just let, you know, if I'm going to fly off the handle because my anxiety is here, I'm going to let you know, I'm feeling this way. And maybe I don't know why. And that's okay. And letting those feelings be okay. Because then once we know, like somebody's feeling anxious, let's work through it has been really important in for her and for for me, because parenting can be really overstimulating. And so can being six, because you don't know. So Voicing emotions for our kids since day one has been really important, even if we don't know what the emotion is or why it's being brought on. But voicing that there's something not feeling right and it's okay. Learning that my two kids need to be parented differently is been a really big eye-opener since my second was born. And she is a completely different kid than Emery was when she was one. One of them's love language is quality time and she wants to do activities and spend that time t- together while well, my other one is very much a physical touch human being he has to be right up on me whether I want it or not
1: so learning how I'm going and to. and parent- just for everybody to know she is not a physical touch woman <laughs> no I'm not <laughs> her love language <laughs> it's not it like
2: makes me cringe sometimes. And so navigating through like, this is how my kid shows and receives love has been a really big growing experience and something that like, I've got to be okay with, but also teaching them like, mom needs a minute. So let's hold on. And, and really, I think the biggest part of parenting these two vastly different kids is how open with communication can we be? Like, And respecting their boundaries Mm -hmm. and how they need to be parented and being in tune with that. How do my kids need to be parented today?
1: Right. I think that's been a big lesson for us as well, as far as our relationships with the parents that we come in contact with. It feels like there is like an expectation that we should just know by going through certain stages. Like this is what happens when you turn 10 and you should just know that without, without me necessarily having to tell you. And it's like one of those things that, we we learn from somewhere and maybe we don't know where, so we don't pass it along to our kids. And I think one of the greatest lessons that we've been able to give to our parents is just what you said about communication. Like how open can the lines of communication be? Because if you can break something down for your kids, they're gonna be confident in it, as opposed to being curious because they don't know anything about it. Now, if you break it down, let's just talk about cell phones, right? Like it feels like a rite of passage now to give your nine, 10, 11 year old a cell phone for Christmas or for their birthday. Everyone's got one, so you might as well give one to your kid as well. And it's like, we just hand it over and we don't really talk about boundaries or what's on it or what you could potentially stumble upon. And it's like, okay let's think about it this way you talk to them about everything that they could possibly find on that phone when it happens because it will happen they type something wrong they do a little thunder thumbs and they wind up on a porn site and they are freaked out well if you didn't talk to them about it now they're going to feel shame now they're going to feel scared because they did something that they don't think they should have done If you would have talked to them about it, now they know that it's a thing that could happen and they're more confident in their actions to take next. Maybe that's a conversation with what they saw. Now they can come to the table and be like, Mom, you know what we talked about? This thing happened today and it didn't make me feel good. So then we're openly communicating and we're expressing feelings in the same right. That way we're not harboring things. That way we're not shoving things down and expecting them to stay there forever because we all know that they don't. Those things definitely explode and come off later. But it's that open line of communication that's going to help you understand your kids more and in the same right, help you understand yourself as a parent more. So huge
0: to your point too, when you said like, parenting your kids differently and allowing them to be themselves sometimes yeah do we want our kids to be checking out porn sites when they're on their cell phones no but that's the reality of having a computer at your fingertips is something like that is bound to happen now it's like it's almost like managing expectations where yeah you you don't want that to happen but if you can set it up prior to it happening, they're going to be more, more equipped to come to you and share because now you've, you've created that space, that safe space for them to share. I think sometimes we, we put our own expectations on our children and when they don't live into that, that's where like the hiding comes from. That's where the shame comes from. So, Everything that you two were just saying, I was like, "Oh, this is like such a full circle moment." I can, how do we, how do we create such a safer space by lowering our expectations and talking about our feelings, so our kids feel safe coming to us when when shit hits the fan. And I think one
2: thing too is ask your kid questions. Like we do, you know, what was your favorite part of your day? Every day, that's what we do as a family. Your favorite part of your day you know, what was your least favorite part of your day? I asked my kid who she played with. I asked my kid, did you raise your hand in class? What questions did you answer? Did you ask your teacher any questions? And really trying to understand what her day looks like. Because then I found that later on, she'll come to me and she'll talk to me about things that maybe she wouldn't have before. You know, we were in the car the other day and that's kind of her favorite place to talk to me for some reason right now is kind of just sitting in the backseat of the car and she'll Start telling me things and she was talking about how a kid at school comes up and like pushes her papers off her desk. And I wanted to like smack the little shit. Who yeah. is he? Where does he live? Right? Where, where do we find she, him? He is just the sweetest soft spoken tiny human. And so it like my mom heart hurt for her, but you know, then kind of probing into that, like, did you did you tell your teacher? Yeah, she you know, I told her and she said she's gonna help. I was like, Okay, cool. After Christmas break, like, do you want me to reach out? And she goes, maybe if it happens again, I'll let you know. And so she's able to identify, like, I can talk to mom about this stuff, and maybe she won't like jump in right away, Mm -hmm. but we can figure it out together. And at six, to have that those communication skills because we've asked her so many questions about what her school day structure looks like, and not just like, what did you learn? You don't know; they're not going to tell you. But ask those questions about like, who did you interact with? Were you nice to the new kid? Those like skills about who they are as a person, I think are really vital to growing your relationship with your kids.
1: They are. We second that. Totally. SEL. Mm-hmm. It takes a village. <laughs> I mean, I I am so, I'm smart. I'm a book smart person. My grades reflected that. I don't think I would be who I am today without my street smarts. And that took situations. Maybe that wasn't the same. My childhood was not the same necessarily in the probing questions. I feel like there was probably a lot of like yes or no questions, right? Of did you have a good day? Yep. Cool. See you later. Like easy stuff like that. But social emotional learning for us, that EQ, my street smarts far outweigh my book smarts. And I'm glad that I was put in situations and put myself in situations enough to know how important EQ, emotional intelligence, is because that by far has been how I've operated my relationships. It's like I owned a CrossFit gym at one point and I didn't care to hire coaches who understood skill, who could teach somebody how to do a power clean with a blindfold on. I wanted to hire coaches who could be taught how to teach skill but already knew how to have that human-to-human connection because you can't like that's hard to teach. Mm -hmm. So when you can start fostering it at six years old, which is the point of girls mentorship is to start having these conversations about life and personal development skills far sooner than I got to learn about life and personal development skills. That is the whole point. I think
2: you hit a really good point. Like a lot of us were asked those like, yes or no questions. Did you have a good day? You know, those things. But we can't expect our kids to know how to have conversations with us if we're asking them questions that only require one word answers. Totally. Those open-ended questions and answer, give me a minimum of five words about your day. Like, and if they're, they're struggling, put those parameters in place. Let's talk about it. But We have to stop asking those one word answer questions and expecting them to know how to conversate with us later on down the road
0: hmm. Uh-huh. Well, I even think about my husband when he comes home from work and some like Mary and I will have like such an incredible day that I just want to like share with him all these things. And then the day happens and he comes home and how was your day at that point? I'm just like exhausted. I'm like, good. <laughs> but underneath good, it's like I have stories to tell and things that i want to you know tell him about and that's me being a 35-year-old woman yeah. so sometimes for me i'm like gosh i probably do that a lot with my kids as far as like the one the the one word answered qu- questions not not the open-ended questions and how could i dig a little bit deeper even if i if i do say how was your day today buddy and he's like good it's like because i know good actually has a story to tell yeah. How do I get him to tell the story? Because I do I do that.
2: Yeah. So then, you know, following that up with if he says good, so like, all right, tell me two good things that happened and, and engage that conversation to the next step or yeah, you know, my day was trash. All right, well, what was so bad about it? And yeah, asking that follow-up question, I think sometimes we get really comfortable in that like that surface answer. Good. Okay, cool. Let's move on. Cause those after school hours are so chaotic and they're so stressful. So How can we take that question to the next step to open that conversation just a little bit to start with?
0: Totally. I love it. I'm like, oh my gosh, I do that. And I'm sure, I mean, we are mirrors to our children. So I wonder if my little ones are picking it up from me or from my husband. And now it's, we do the same thing at dinner. Really, that's our time to connect as a family of our peach in our pit Having it be more than just a one word answer, but really talking about our day and gratitude and also like being okay to celebrate when times aren't great. Like those are the pit of our days. So, how do we also say, like, yeah, gosh, that really stinks? I wouldn't have liked that either if that happened to me. Well, definitely something being... that I'm going to take away from this conversation is be better at question, as my question asking.
1: Well, and just being in tune to those terrible days, really developing your character because I can look back over the last 10 years and pick out quite a few quote unquote bad days, a lot of which encompass me calling Aaron and crying (laughs) Uh, a lot. there, There have been several phone calls where man, I just, I didn't know who else to call and I knew she would have an answer for me. And I also knew that she was my good friend and I had a shoulder. And looking back now, being able to see all of that through a different lens, all of that made me the person I am today. So I definitely wouldn't trade those pits. And maybe I wish more people would have asked questions about why I was going through what I was going through or how that was making me feel because maybe I would have been more apt to open up about it and see it from a different side instead of thinking, well, this is all just happening to me, right? We mm-hmm. can get really, really, really deep into our victim mentality when life is not going well. So how do we also take those, those bad days and make sure our kids know that they're just as valuable as the good ones? Yeah. With all of that said, a lot of life lived, a lot of experience on this call what would you say has been one of your greatest lessons? Obviously, you've worked in mental health for the better part of the last decade. Now you're a mom who gets to see life through her kid's eyes, something that you have always wanted. Um, You have a great relationship, a job that you absolutely have worked your ass off for. What in that, in your 30 plus years of life, has been one of your greatest lessons?
2: I think that it's just,
1: it's okay
2: to not know what you want to do and find it out later in life. You know, it, we put so much pressure on these kids at 17, 18. You're going to go to college for, you're going to study. Like, why? Let them figure it out. It's not necessary. They will figure it out on their own time. I mean, I, like I said, I went to art school. I got in a bunch of early student loan debt for a degree that I will never use. And had to restart over going to school, and I've been going to school online, one class at a time, for the last seven years while working and raising my kids. And I didn't realize that until I was in my, you know, mid twenties. So it's okay that it's totally fine to not know when you're eighteen. Well,
0: and I love that you pivoted. I also think, like, what what if you went down the art path because you like you felt pressured, bad. you felt pressured of like, well, I have to do this thing. And then 20 years go by and you're like miserable and unhappy <laughs> like thank god you realized soon, yeah. sooner rather than later that that wasn't the, that wasn't your path.
2: Yeah. And just being okay with those choices. Like I don't regret what I, you know, did in my early 20s and at 18 it was great. I had great stories and great experiences and it definitely shaped some of the places that I'm at now so just being okay with the fact that you will take so many different paths and engage in so many different activities and career choices I know so few people who have the same career path for their whole life I mean oh i boring <laughs>
1: right yes. yeah yeah <laughs> like we get we get so much time to explore so many different facets of who we are that it seems just so illogical to force that on kids coming out of high school when their brains aren't fully developed when they haven't had any time to formulate life experience outside of what they know because they've had to be somewhere very structured from the time they were, you know, 4 until graduating high school and it's mm-hmm. like Man, unless you have the resources to travel or go abroad or do do things like that, like I grew up in a small town and I went I knew the same people from elementary school all the way to high school. There wasn't much opportunity there for me to go out and figure out if I liked underwater basket weaving you know like there wasn't (laughs) i didn't have those opportunities until i flew the nest and decided to do it on my own and go explore this place and move to arizona and you know get into trouble Mm -hmm. so it is it's it's we see that a lot with the girls that we mentor as far as like the breakdown of like oh my god i don't know what i'm gonna do i don't know what i'm gonna choose I, i i only have six months left until i graduate and then what it's like they feel like their life is ending.
2: Yeah. If you ask my six-year-old, you know, what do you want to be when she, you grow up? And she has a solid plan because that's just her, but she's like, I want to be a gymnastics coach and a vet. <laughs> okay, cool. How can we do both? Like, what what's your plan? And that's fine. And, but like last year, she wanted to be a teacher. So it, it will change. And instead of sticking these kids and being like, cool, you want to be a vet? You're the next 12 years while you're in school we're going to focus on getting you to that
1: school
0: because
1: mm-hmm. it's going to change 75 times between now and graduation so Shoot. mine changed 75 times between the time i was a <laughs> freshman in college totally and- <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> by the time i was a sophomore <laughs>
0: well yeah. and i i think it's all about how you respond what i'm hearing in this is compassion what happens if your parents at the time where you changed your mind a thousand times just extended their hand to say like okay yeah you got this mine i i thought my family was going to literally just uh, they were like we're done with you when i said i'm gonna go into retail and i'm now gonna take an hourly job after i had just graduated i had a good paying salary job with benefits and now i'm gonna go work retail they were like, you're crazy, and I can't believe you're doing this. We didn't send you to school for you to go r- work retail. And I just remember being like, oh, my God, but I'm so unhappy, and I have to find happiness again, and this is this is what I feel is best for me. And I'm so glad I acted on that, where, you know, what what happens if they would have responded in a way that was compassionate, where, you know, yeah, hey, I totally understand that you're unhappy and let's figure out how to, well, what is your path to happiness? Where I, I didn't get that. And that w- that's scary. And as a parent for myself, that's what I'm drawing my experience from is like, I want to, my kids go to college. Great. If they go to trade school, amazing. I want them to foster and, and continue to to seek joy and to be happy no matter what they do. Cause I know they're going to change their mind a, a thousand times.
1: Well, and isn't it so cool that your decision to throw caution to the wind in your family's eyes has now led you to the thing that you're you're lit up about. So it's like the breadcrumbs. We we have to follow the breadcrumbs. We have to follow what our soul is calling us to do. And if we suppress that, it's gonna come back and bite us in the ass at some point in time. And I think all of us are beautiful examples of that, picking ourselves back up and following then what we really wanted to follow. I think one of my favorite things, and and Emma and I say this to each other all the time,
2: is like, because we lived together at one point through all this chaos, we spent a year being roommates. Um, and so if we, you know, we sit there and we say, like, if those two girls could see where we are now, they would never believe it. They would never believe how good life can get. Once we both started following these journeys and just kind of going, F this, like, we want bigger, we want better, we want fire and passion and all of these things and really diving in and figuring it out through all of like these setbacks and these crazy things. But on a pretty consistent basis, we just go, God, if those girls could see us now, like they would just be so proud. They would just never believe how good life can get.
1: Never. I mean, that girl... That that girl, those girls in 2010, 2011 would never, I could have never saw where we are and the impact that we're both making today, which is obviously why it was a no-brainer to have you on the podcast. You mm-hmm. have been such an impact to me personally as a friend and as an advisor in certain cases. But as far as the work you're doing for the world, like who you are, you've impacted kids that you don't even know. And I think that's the ripple effect that we're all in this business for is is not to know 20 years later that we affected somebody's life, but to be in the work for the possibility of that happening. Yeah. With that said, thank you for taking some time out of your day. Love you, Erin. It's so precious. And we appreciate you giving us a little bit more of your day-to-day and the ways in which you show up for people. So thank you so much. Um, we're excited to me. share our audience with you. Absolutely. And with that said, you guys, we'll see you on the next episode of What's the Lesson podcast. Have a wonderful day. We see this
0: every time, but wow, what a powerful episode. These conversations always leave us feeling so fired up and inspired. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for tuning in with us. If you're looking for more, head over to girlsmentorship.com WTL for the show notes. And if you felt as inspired by listening to this conversation as we did having it, we would be ecstatic
1: if you'd advocate for us in one or all of the next three ways. One, by sharing this episode with a friend or on your social media. Two, by heading over to iTunes and leaving us a rating and an honest review. And three, by following us on social media. This community is full of movers and shakers. We share ideas. We ask questions. So if you're interested, we've linked our Instagram account as well as our exclusive community on Facebook in the show notes. Until next time, you guys, remember, the more you know, the better you do. And
0: this bomb-ass episode was sponsored by Girls Mentorship.